What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 46 of the Tom Shifflett Podcast. I am your host, Tom Shifflett, coming at you on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon. Coming at you on a Saturday afternoon. I was going to record Friday night. It was about 6 when I was going to start recording, and I was like, you know what? I might as well just wait until the Yankees and Rays game is over, and I figured the NBA Finals will be done, and we could put a bow on the NBA season Saturday. So I was like, you know what? I'll prep, and then I'll record maybe after the Lakers game, after the Lakers win. I'll just wrap up the season then and just record then. And then last night happened, and <laughs> I had to sleep on it. And, you know, I was a little tipsy, and I was a little uh, a little upset, to say the least. So I probably wouldn't have been the best to <laughs> have uh, listened and recorded an episode. So I'm here now. I had some breakfast, had a drink, watched the game over again, kind of looked at some things have a different perspective on some stuff. So we'll get into that, and then we'll preview all of Sunday's slate for tomorrow. Also, the doubleheader on Monday, and then there's a Tuesday game. Yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, let's get into Game 5 of the NBA Finals last night. The Miami Heat, they win 111-108. to 108. Jimmy Butler was great again. Two, three straight games, he's been great. This Finals really has become... Must watch TV, and it's it's a shame that people aren't watching because they don't want to watch sports anymore. Or they're just not interested in the series. You're really missing out. This the last three games have been just fantastic basketball. It's some of the best finals games that have been played in the past four or five years. These these three games have been so good, and it's a really really it's turned into a really compelling series right now. The way that Jimmy Butler's playing, the way that LeBron's playing, the way that Eric Spolstra is just coaching his ass off to keep them in this series. It's just it's really good basketball right now. And last night's game was, it was really fun. Regardless of who you're rooting for, that was just a really fun basketball game. Game four was the same way. Game three was just incredible basketball from Jimmy Butler. So yeah, Jimmy Butler, 35 points last night, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, five steals. So he became the first player since Gary Payton, the glove with a 30 plus point triple double and five steals in NBA playoff history. He also joins LeBron as the only player to record multiple 30-point triple-doubles in a final series. So Jimmy Butler just did whatever he wanted. Um, I think he heard all the talk that Anthony Davis kind of shut his water off in Game 4, and AD just couldn't stay in front of him. AD suffered, they're calling it a heel contusion that he re-aggravated. Apparently he hurt his heel early in the bubble, and he re-aggravated it early in the first half, and he just didn't have any lateral quickness. He just wasn't moving correctly, and it was kind of just... It's kind of stubbornness, honestly, from Frank Vogel to keep putting Anthony Davis in that situation against Jimmy Butler. And then towards the end in the fourth quarter, closing it out, I was talking about those lazy switches in Game 3. They came back again where Anthony Davis was just giving up on those screens. It was putting Markeith Morris on an island with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was just going to the cup and doing whatever he wanted. It's just, It was just frustrating to watch. And, you know, Duncan Robinson, 26 points. 7 for 13 from 3. He was fouled on a couple three-pointers as well. Just Duncan was really knocking the knocking the ball in and he was shooting really well and he's had really good looks all series and he just wasn't knocking them down and he finally got him to go and that really just changed Miami's, you know, their chance they had of winning this game. Miami overall was 14 to 33 from 3. And Bam has been, you know, he hasn't been playing the best. He missed a lot of chippies. He missed a couple easy dunks. He just doesn't have the rhythm, but 
He's a difference maker out there for him. They've won every single minute of Bam being on the floor. So for the Lakers, man, it's just the effort was just horrendous. Everyone besides LeBron, just lethargic, lazy, just and then AD is just hobbling and he was just not really himself. So, I mean, LeBron, 40 points, 13 boards, seven assists, three steals. He was 15 to 21 from the field. He was six of nine from three. Like he had the three ball going early. If he wasn't shooting the three the way he was, this game would have been a 15 point deficit for LA and they're licking their wounds and trying to figure out what to do in game six. But LeBron kept a minute. They were down as many as 13. He tried to kind of, facilitate early on get everybody going but everybody just wasn't they just there was no sense of urgency it was just so frustrating to watch it's it was game four all over again they came out flat they came out flat and that's what cost them the game those first eight minutes of the first quarter cost them this game because they finally took a lead I think it was with three and change left it got it to 97 96 and then they never saw a lead again it's just Man, um, it would just been it would have been nice to see somebody have that kind of I'm tired of being in the bubble. I want to go home kind of like feel to the game that LeBron had. And you're just when Anthony Davis went down, the way he went down, where he was clutching, he was clutching the back of his foot, and you just you automatically your mind goes to he tore his Achilles and he was on the floor for a while, and you just you could see there show a shot of like the way that LeBron was looking, and he looked like. That's not a good sign. And luckily, it was just the heel contusion. And uh, I I don't know what that's going to mean for tomorrow night's game. Um, I don't know. He just he didn't have the same quickness, and he just wasn't the same after it. So um, uh, this is this is not good. This is not good for LA. Um, you can't waste stuff like you can't waste generational games like LeBron had last night, especially at thirty five. You don't know if he's going to be able to ramp up and do that again tomorrow night, man. He gave it his all. Jimmy Butler gave it his all. That guy's a psychopath. Like, this is the shit that Jimmy is built for. This is why he gets up at 2.30 every day. He works out, and then he goes to practice, and then he works out again. Like, the guy's an animal. But, I mean, LeBron is... (laughs) It's a lot of miles on that man. And for him to do what he did last night, and, you know, he's getting killed today. He's... He's getting killed. Like, I went to bed because I was really mad at just the the initial reaction to the play of LeBron drives three, four Miami Heat players collapse on the drive. He kicks it out to a wide open Danny Green, a career forty percent three point shooter, wide open. The closest defender to Danny Green when he gets this ball is below the free throw line. He had all day to shoot this goddamn ball. And he almost airballs it. It barely hits the front of the rim. And it's just, you know, Jay Williams like, uh, you know, he's got to shoot that ball. And everyone's like, yeah, this is why he's not the GOAT because he didn't shoot the ball. He made the right fucking basketball play. Like, like he always does. He made the right play. He made the right play. It just, it didn't work out for him like it did for Jordan. It didn't work out like John Paxton in game six, 1993. Or it didn't work out like game five versus the Lakers in 91 for their first title. Or Steve Kerr in game six in 97. Or like when Kobe passed it to Derek Fisher in 09 of the finals against the Magic. Or Meta World Peace in game seven in 2010. Like, it just, it didn't work. He trusted his teammate. He should have knocked it the fuck down. He didn't. Like, I just don't understand how that's a, 
like you can condemn LeBron for not taking that shot over four people when he gave it to a wide open shooter. The problem isn't LeBron doing this. It's it's Frank Vogel putting Danny Green out there to begin with, like, or not even putting him out there, which was an issue, but making him a part of the action. Like you drew that play up where Danny Green is the one being involved directly in the play. No, 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 no. It should have been KCP or AD. Those should have been the guys involved in the action where if Miami is going to sell out and they're not going to let LeBron win this game, then you're kicking it out to your best three point, two, three best three point shooters this entire postseason run in KCP and Anthony Davis. Instead, you had KCP in the corner doing nothing and you had Anthony Davis pinned underneath the basket. It's just, I don't know what Vogel was thinking on that and it was horrible. And, you know, I thought the Danny Green mess was bad. But Markeith Morris, he made a great effort to get the offensive rebound, and then he shit his pants on the court and threw the ball away with four and a half seconds left. He didn't take a dribble. He didn't try and compose himself whatsoever. He tried to throw it to Anthony Davis, who was pinned underneath the rim, wasn't open at all. Even if he got that ball, Bain was right on his back, and there's nothing AD could have done with that ball. Instead of passing it to KCP, who was wide open right next to him, Danny Green was wide open right behind him. LeBron was on the goddamn wing, flailing his arms in the air, yelling like a lunatic, and Markeith Morris just throws it out of bounds. And that's it. That's the game. It's one of the biggest, like, brain farts I've ever seen. Ever. Ever. Inexcusable for a guy who's been in the league as long as Markeith Morris has. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. He just panicked. He absolutely panicked. And there was no reason to. There was four and a half seconds left. Not a dribble. Nothing. He didn't even look anywhere. He just, oh, I'm going to throw it to Anthony Davis. To think, like, for him to think he could even make that pass to Anthony Davis. Like, LeBron would have a hard time making that pass, let alone Marquise goddamn Morris. Like, oh, my God. You just, I just felt sick after the game. I felt exactly how I felt. Game 1, 2018 finals, where LeBron has 51. He plays almost an entirely perfect game, and Jarrah Smith forgets the score. They... They lose in overtime. It's it felt it felt like that. This was this was one of those games where this was one of the best finals games I've ever watched a person have. And LeBron, like he was absolutely perfect in every single way. And for that to, for it to end the way it did is just that hurts. And I can only imagine how LeBron feels. I can only imagine how Danny Green feels from missing that shot. Like this is what they paid him fifteen million a year for to knock these shots down. If you're not going to defend, which he's not, and you're not going to shoot, then why are you out there? I honestly, I would have rather have a cold-ass J.R. Smith standing in that position than Danny Green because he's been horrible this entire bubble. He's been bad this whole postseason. He doesn't have a shot. I just don't know why Vogel, that was what he drew up, man. And you got to give credit to LeBron for trusting him. And that's just the epitome of what kind of guy LeBron is on the floor. He's going to trust his teammates regardless. I mean, Danny Green has been horrific, and he's still, without hesitation, I'm going to give it to him. Top of the key is the right play. He's wide open. He should knock this down. He doesn't, and we're moving on to game six. So I don't. This is. I still think L.A. closes it out tomorrow. Mm, I was pretty confident they would win last night. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do because you can't have AD on Jimmy Butler anymore. It did matter. Jimmy Butler, it doesn't matter who was covering him. AD couldn't stay with him, so it's going to have to go back to being Braun. Um, I I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. And I, I was just confused why Vogel stuck with Dwight as long as he did last night. He only played him for less than eight minutes in game four. 
He kind of saw the writing on the wall. This isn't a Dwight game. This isn't a Dwight series. And he just he stuck with him last night. And Dwight was just awful. And he made a really just disgusting play on Jimmy where he probably should have been thrown out. He didn't make an attempt at the ball. He just smacked him in the head, really walloped him in the head. And Dwight is a really big dude to be getting hit like that. That's just, it was on called for. It should have been a flagrant too. I'm surprised it wasn't. Um, Dwight was just bad. And I, I don't I don't know what Vogel does. His rotation is still, he's still trying to work the kinks out. He went away from Rondo towards the end. I, I was kind of confused by that. Um Rondo hasn't been that great this series. He's kind of come back down to earth, but he's still been more productive and better than Danny Green has been, both defensively and offensively. And I just think, I, I don't know, do you do you bench him? Do you bench Danny Green? I would. If it was me, I would. I would just start Caruso, honestly. But uh, I don't know what Frank does. But there's a lot to there's a lot to fix, and their effort is numero uno. Like Their effort was pathetic last night, again, Effort was pathetic, and you can't you can't just mail it in against Jimmy fucking Butler. Man, I can't I can't believe it. I I like I woke up this morning and I thought, did that sequence really happen to end that game last night? Like I'm looking at the I've been rewatching the play and I have the pictures on my phone and I've just been staring at the stills of them and it's just you look at this Danny Green picture, and I'm just looking at it now. It's like you tell me that he missed this shot, like. Andre Iguodala is still in the dotted circle when Danny Green gets the pass. Like, there is nobody even close to him, and he missed it. Not even missed it. He barely grazed the rim. And then you look at this still of Markeith Morris here. There is a wide-open LeBron there on the wing. He throws in the ball. LeBron can make a move to the hoop at least and get a free throw out of this. You know, he could at least tie the game. Danny Green, wide open behind him, ready to shoot. Right, there's nobody even close to him. Andre Iguodala is almost at half court. He's not even in the picture, so it's a five on four right now. KCP wide open in the corner, and then he gives it to Anthony Davis. He doesn't even give to Anthony Davis. He airmails it out of bounds with four and a half seconds left. Not one dribble. He just gets the ball and he panics. It's it's beyond frustrating. I just I can't believe it. And then just to turn on the television today, and then reading on you know social media that it's. LeBron's got to be better, and he's got to he's got to take that shot. What are you talking about, man? What are we talking about? If he would have taken that shot and he would have missed, they'd be like, "Oh, Danny Green was wide open. Why, the, why didn't he pass it to him? What an idiot!" Like he was damned if he did, damned if he don't. Like on to Game Six, though. I mean, so last night I wrote up I wrote up a preview of the game, and I wrote some stuff down here for you know if the Heat were to win, a couple things had to happen. Jimmy had to be aggressive early. Check. Miami has to find a way to get Jimmy free from Anthony Davis. Check. They did that multiple times, and it didn't help that AD got hurt for LA. You know, it didn't help their game plan, but they did a lot of things where they got those switches that they want, and they got Jimmy free for open mid-range jump shots, which he was knocking down. Third thing I wrote down, Hero, Robinson, Crowder have to shoot well off Jimmy's driving kicks, and they certainly did. Hero didn't hit a lot of shots. He wasn't really playing that much. Uh, I thought that was a really great coaching by Spo to... Kind of go away from Hero has been kind of the catalyst of your playoff run, kind of the spark plug of your team so far in the finals, and he went away from him in these key moments, and that's just how great, it's a testament to how great of a coach Eric Spolster is, man, and Duncan Robinson finally got some of those looks to go down, Jay Crowder was knocking down some threes, he got fouled on a three-point play, he got a four-point play out of those, it's just, those kind of things were just backbreaking for LA, and then 
the last thing I wrote was you got to take away AD and force LeBron James to beat you. And that's what they did. And I was talking about this before the finals started that I was going to be curious to see if Spolstra was kind of going to implement the Steve Kerr kind of way of guarding LeBron and the way that Popovich guarded LeBron, where it's you let LeBron kind of get his and you don't let anybody else do anything. And at the end of the day, you could probably live with LeBron going off and nobody else is going to be able to help him. So there's just it's just all on him. And he did as much as humanly possible last night. You know, he didn't have a lot of confidence in his jump shot coming into this game. And he, without hesitation, was knocking down these threes when Miami kept going under the screens. And he knocked him down. And he took a couple of just heaves from 30 feet and knocking him down. He just, he had it all going. And there were too many possessions late in that fourth quarter where Brian didn't touch the ball because Kuzma would get the ball and just drive. And he wouldn't think of passing or just getting the ball out and just working the ball back. Or just Danny Green would try and break somebody down off the dribble. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Just just get the ball to LeBron and just let him work. And just too many times, there were too many possessions where he had it going the way he did and he just didn't get the ball. And it's just, oh, well, I mean, this is this is crazy, man. I mean, I thought, I thought they closed it out. I mean, LeBron, you know, he has the highest winning percentage in NBA history in closeout games. He's now 38 and 11. I mean, it's just... I, I I don't see them dropping this series. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of smart people that I know had Lakers in six. I believe it was five. But, you know, this is this is just, I think this is tough, man. I, I really think Ellie's going to win this one, but I, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be another dog fight. And there's a possibility that Goran Dragic returns for game six tomorrow night. If AD is still hobbled, this is, this is scary territory. This is, they got to have another Herculean effort from LeBron. And LeBron's going to have to do what Jimmy did last night. Jimmy rested for 46 seconds. He played 47 minutes. LeBron's got to be right there. This is, you got to treat this as, this is your last game of the year, which I was kind of frustrated why Vogel didn't coach it that way. You should be coaching it. This is your last, this is the last game of the year. Play these guys as long as possible to get this done. And too many times he rested LeBron where it's, LeBron's got to finish this. This needs to be over. You need to finish this in five. You cannot keep Miami alive. You cannot do it. I said it before the final started. You have to put them down immediately. You cannot dick around. And two games in a row, they have dicked around. So uh, we got game six tomorrow night. And I'm just, I'm just frustrated because, you know, as much as I love the NBA and I love that, I, I just wanted, I wanted basketball season to be over. I wanted to be able to Sundays, I could focus on just football. I can just watch football. Now I have to, I got to watch a game on my phone and I got to watch the finals or vice versa. It's just, I wanted, let's just put a bow on the season and the Lakers just dropped the ball. Just very frustrating. So we'll move on now. We'll get into more NFL stuff here. So we'll recap Thursday night football real quick. The Bears, they went 20 to 19 over Tampa Bay. This one was, this one was a very perplexing game. So Nick Foles, he was 30 of 42, 243 yards. He had a touchdown. He had a pick. Foles was all over the place. And, you know, the first half, you're like, Nagy should just go back to Trubisky, right? I mean, you're coming off four quarters where he was bad against Indianapolis. And then you're coming into two quarters against Tampa Bay where he was horrendous. So you're like, do we just go back to Trubisky? What are we doing here? But he started to get it going. Allen Robinson had 10 catches, 90 yards. Jimmy Graham had a touchdown. 
David Montgomery, 10 carries, 29 yards, a touchdown, but he did have seven receptions for 30 yards. So they did go away from the run game. I guess you can kind of understand it because of how great Tampa Bay is against the run, but they still, they have to run the ball more, man. You can't just depend on Foles just throwing it around the whole time. Khalil Mack, two sacks. He had zero the previous 17 games. They were just all over Tom Brady. I was reading this was, he was pressured on 43% of his dropbacks. That's the highest he's ever faced in a game since 2017. They were just after him. And most of the time they were just rushing four. Khalil Mack was just unstoppable. Oh boy. So for Tom Brady, he was 25 of 41, 253 yards, a touchdown. He was 0 for 7 on the deep ball and he had a really just kind of just a head scratching way to end that game where it's Brady's got the ball. He's down one, a minute 13. He needs about 35 yards to win this game. You're going, okay, this is why they brought Tom Brady in. This is These are the games I've been talking about that Tampa Bay is going to win that they didn't last year. And this is what's going to make them a 10-11 win team like I thought they would be. And Brady, you know, we're going, we're going, we're going. And then, you know, it's fourth and six. He thinks it's third and six. He takes a deep shot down the field. And that's it. Turnover on downs. And then he's looking and he's looking at the referees like wait I thought you know this is fourth down here and it's just I I don't get he had he had Ronald Jones wide open on a check down there uh, he said he wanted to get a chunk of yards because he's worried about the time and everything like that but just dump it to Ronald Jones there he gets at least 10-15 yards on that dump down there and then you can hurry up spike the ball and then you got time for two more plays to get really comfortable field goal range it's just kind of it's insane to watch Tom Brady kind of blunder that there so uh, I don't know but Ronald Jones, who I was just talking about, he was really good on the ground. 17 carries, 106 yards. Deshaun Vaughn, though, he had a fumble lost. Tyler Johnson, four receptions, 61 yards. He was starting in the absence of Chris Godwin. Him and Brady looked like they had a nice little connection. Gronk, he's starting to get into it a little bit. He's moving a little bit better. He had three receptions, 52 yards. He had a couple good moves off, you know, yards after the catch. So maybe Gronk's starting to get it back going. And Mike Evans, five receptions, 41 yards, and a touchdown. For Nick Foles, this was his first win as a starter in five starts. He hadn't won a game starting since 2018 with the Eagles. David Montgomery's touchdown was the first Chicago rushing touchdown of 2020. They were the last team entering week five without one. So again, that run game is just, it's a disaster. Nagy's got to stay committed to the run. He's just so quick to just abandon it. And it's kind of frustrating because David Montgomery is a talented running back, and he needs the ball. Just give him the ball, and good things will happen. Every time he got the ball in the backfield, he made a couple guys miss. He got some extra yards after that, and he just made things happen. He just he needs to stay more involved in the offense. For Mike Evans, that was the first touchdown that Chicago has allowed all year to a wide receiver. Chicago still hasn't scored in the third quarter. They're the only team in 2020 who hasn't scored in the third quarter yet. This one was crazy. So Ronald Jones is the first Buccaneers running back since... Jacquez Rogers in 2016 with two straight 100-yard rushing games. So maybe if Jameis had a consistent running game, maybe it would have helped him out a lot more. But never mind. I'm not going to get into the Jameis Winston stuff. And then the Buccaneers going off the, the rushing numbers. They have three different 100-yard rushers in 2020. They had three the previous three seasons combined. So with Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, Deshaun Vaughn, they're finding guys that are really able to run the football here, and it's it's going to help Tom Brady out a lot. He just didn't have it on Thursday night. The deep ball just wasn't there. It's just, you know, this was the first time since 2016 that 
Tom Brady didn't complete at least one pass of 20-plus air yards. He was 0 for 7, so I don't know. It was it was weird coming off the crisp outing that he had throwing the deep ball against L.A. to do what he did against Chicago. I guess it's just the ebbs and flows of being a 43-year-old quarterback. I guess you're going to have a lot of peaks and you're going to have a lot of valleys. And still, he wasn't horrible, but the gaffe at the end of the game kind of just made this night just look even worse. Oh, man. So... The Bucks defense, though, it's still really good. They have allowed less than 50-yard rushing in three straight games. That's a franchise record, but a huge blow for them. Their big defensive tackle they have in there next to Domicon Sue to kind of just stuff the middle there via Vea. Probably lost for the season. He broke his ankle, so that's a big, big hit for Tampa Bay's defense going forward. Just I can't believe Tom Brady forgot the score. He forgot the downs. It was just the way that I, I stayed up for that game and kind of like, I was like, dude, I have to go to work in like three hours. And this, this is what I stayed up for, like to watch Tom Brady forget the downs. Like that's how this game ends. Oh boy, whatever. So we'll move into, we'll preview tomorrow's games. So the first one we'll look at the one, two and one Philadelphia Eagles at the three and oh Pittsburgh Steelers. Philadelphia, they got their first one of the season, Sunday Night Football against the 49ers. Pittsburgh coming off their bye week because Tennessee doesn't know how to adhere to protocols town by the NFL. They just, uh, speaking on Tennessee real quick, they had, they've now had three straight days, no positive COVID tests. So it looks like they've kind of got that under wraps. They did add Corey Davis to the reserved COVID-19 list along with a couple of practice squatters. So it looks like Buffalo and Tennessee is all good. So thankfully that's the last little outbreak that the NFL will deal with this season. I highly doubt it, but We'll see. So we'll look at Philadelphia here. They're 18th rushing and 25th passing, and they have the ninth overall defense for Pittsburgh. They have 30th ranked offense. They're 30th in the pass, 21st in the rush. They're behind everybody because they didn't play a game, so that's why they look so pitiful. And they have the number one defense coming into week five. Coming off the bye week, Tomlin is 9-4 and four off a of bye. He's won three straight. He has the third highest win percentage among active head coaches. So the home team... In this rivalry here, the Keystone State has won the last four. So the last road win in this series was 2000, Week 11. Philadelphia won 26-23 in overtime. Philadelphia, their first in the NFC East despite, <laughs> despite being a negative 23 in point differential and negative 5 in the turnover differential. Big Ben, he's only has a 73.1 quarterback rating versus Philadelphia in four career games. That's the second lowest versus any opponent. He's also been sacked, I think, on average Four and a half sacks per game against Philadelphia in the four games. So those old schemes with the Eagles where they would just fly to the football and just absolutely just wreck the Steelers' offensive line. Those previous four career games where just Ben was on his back. He usually left the game with an injury at that point. They just beat the hell out of him. So much improved offensive line since those days. We'll see. Also, Ben Roethlisberger has the second quickest release from snap in the league right now. He is getting the ball out of his hands very quickly. He's been doing that the past couple of years, which has kind of just extended his career to what we're seeing now. I'm taking Pittsburgh in this one. I think that defense is really going to give Carson Wentz a lot of trouble. They win on 43% of of their of their rushes so far. That's by far the highest in the league. TJ Watt leads the league with a 29% win rate. Uh, Bud Dupree is right there at 23%. Cam Hayward is at 20%. Pittsburgh has three guys in the top five of win rate uh, on their rushes. So they really get an out to the quarterback. They lead the league in sacks and tackles for loss. I think it's going to be more of the same for Carson Wentz. He's just going to have a rough day. So 
I'm taking Pittsburgh on that one. We move on to the next game, the 1-2-1 and Cincinnati Bengals at the 3-1 Baltimore Ravens. Look at Cincinnati. They're 19th offensively. They have their 16th in passing. They're 19th in rushing. And they have the 24th overall defense. For Baltimore, they are 23rd offensively. 31st pass, third rushing, and they have the 16th defense. So Lamar Jackson is good to go. He practiced Friday. He had missed Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday with a knee. He had a stomach bug on Thursday, but he got a practice in on Friday. So breathe a sigh of relief. Lamar is going to be on the field for the Baltimore Ravens. So for this one, this is the fifth matchup versus the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson, and a number one overall pick. The MVP has won all four previous matchups. Cincinnati, they have scored 23-plus points in three of four games this season. They had three all of last year. So Joe Burrow, that offense, they're starting to move the ball. And Joe looks really good. Joe Mixon looks really good. Um, Just they need to fix that offensive line. That's usually the case for most teams when they're picking in the top four or five. Quarterback looks really good. The offensive line is a nightmare. But this offense has a lot of weapons. And if Joe can just get the ball out pretty quick, he could he could have a pretty nice day against Baltimore. Here He is coming off three straight 300-yard games. So we'll see. There are plays to be made against this Baltimore, this Baltimore defense. There are. So we'll see if Baltimore can just get after the quarterback like they did against, you know, against Deshaun Watson. They should be okay. But we'll see what happens. Baltimore in the John Harbaugh era. So since 2008, they are 6-17 and 17 versus rookie quarterbacks. That is the third best record in that span. Baltimore so far this year, only one wide receiver has a touchdown. That's Willie Sneed. And then also on the injury front for Baltimore, Ronnie Stanley, he did get a limited practice on Friday, so he's probably good to go. That's going to help that line out a lot. And Mark Andrews also got in a limited practice, so Mark Andrews is good to go as well. I'm taking Baltimore in this one. Next game, we'll look at the 3-1 and Los Angeles Rams at the 1-3 and Washington football team. Ugh, Washington, man, this is Dwayne Haskins stuff. We'll look at LA real quick. They're ninth offensively. They're 14th in the pass. They're 7th in the rush, and they have the 11th overall defense for the football team. 28th offense, 24th passing, 30th rushing, but they have the 7th defense overall. So it came out Dwayne Haskins is benched. Not only is he benched, he is now the third string quarterback behind a guy who can't even walk in Alex Smith. They're starting Kyle Allen. The kind of the writing was on the wall when Ron Rivera and that front office traded for Kyle Allen in the offseason, even though Ron Rivera said he's confident in Dwayne Haskins going forward. Dwayne Haskins is his guy. And then four games into the year, you are demoting him to the third string quarterback. So I don't know where the, the thing is that's frustrating for me is that if you had the idea in your head that you had a short leash for Dwayne Haskins, why wouldn't you go get Cam Newton then instead of trading a pick for for Kyle Allen? Why? Why? What did you see from Kyle Allen last year that makes you believe he is worth trading any kind of pick for? And then that's your guy going forward. He was horrible last year for Carolina. He was horrible. 61% completion percentage. He averaged 250 yards per game, 19 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. He had an AT rating. He was 6-7. and seven. They had the worst pass offense in the league. The worst. Dwayne Haskins so far in his career. 59% completion percentage. He's 59.9, so about 60%, 196 yards per game, 11 touchdowns, 6 picks, 83 rating. He's 3-8, and eight, and that's it. You're going to throw him off to the side. After 16 months from taking him 15th overall, problem is that Jay Gruden took him, even though Washington knew that Jay Gruden was a lame duck anyway. Why would you let him draft? Why would you let him draft? You should have gotten rid of him before and then got a head coach that you wanted going forward and pick his guy. Dwayne Haskins didn't have anybody in the front office to back him. Nobody wanted him but Jay Gruden, and Jay Gruden is gone. So there's nobody 
who's going to be patient with him like they are in New York with Daniel Jones, who is putting up way worse numbers than Dwayne Haskins. But nobody's even thinking of benching Daniel Jones because it's, oh, we just got to give him more time. 16 months, man. Three different head coaches already. So they fired Gruden four games into Haskins' career. Then Bill Callahan takes over. Callahan didn't like Dwayne Haskins at all. He didn't want anything to do with Dwayne Haskins. So he didn't put Dwayne in any kind of position to throw the ball or do anything. They just gave Adrian Peterson 26 carries a game. A 30-fucking-5-year-old Adrian Peterson the ball a million times. Then they come in. They got a new system around Rivera again. Pandemic-shortened training camp. He's learning over Zoom calls. He doesn't get any kind of reps whatsoever to really learn this offense. He's coming off the best game of his career, honestly. And he's he's a third-string quarterback now. Less than 350 career pass attempts, and you are punting on this guy already. Washington is an absolute joke, and I hope they're even worse with Kyle Allen in there. I just I don't understand how you watch that Baltimore game and think, oh, Kyle Allen would have won that game. Like, I just don't I just don't get it, man. So I hope Washington loses the rest of the year. I hope they lose the rest of the year. Sorry. It's just poor Dwayne Haskins, man. I hope I hope they just get rid of him at the end of the year and let him walk and just find somewhere else with a little bit of stability. Have somebody pick him up that actually has a feeling for like, hey, I could probably do something with this guy and make him succeed. So just just ridiculous, man. So we'll talk a little bit here coming into a, l- a couple insights coming into this game. So Jared Goff, he's coming into this with three straight games with a 100-plus passer rating. That is the longest such streak he's had in his career since 2018. Washington football team, they've allowed 30-plus points in the last six of seven games, but it's Dwayne Haskins' fault. All good. So we'll look at LA's numbers, home and road so far this season. So home, 34.5 points per game, 463 yards, 179 rushing yards, and they have a 59 point three third down conversion percentage on the road completely different story they're 18 and a half points per game 330 yards 105 yards rushing and only a 46.7 third down conversion percentage so it kind of been like dr jekyll and mr hyde on the road so far so i think that kind of can fix those road offensive woes against washington but who knows i i thought they would really fix the whatever issues they had on the road against New York last week and they laid an egg. So this Washington defense is way more talented and a lot better and they compete a lot harder than New York's defense does. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with this one. And speaking of the Giants, both the Giants and the football team, they're the only teams in the league without one player with at least 60 yards rushing. So just a lot of bad stuff going on on both of those offenses. I'm taking the Rams here. We'll move on to with the 2-2 two and two Arizona Cardinals. They're at the 0-4 Jets. So Friday, about like 10 a.m., it looked like we weren't going to get this game or it was going to come on a Tuesday or something like that because the Jets had a presumed positive test. They sent everybody home. Arizona was on you know, a plane getting ready to travel to New York, so kind of things were in limbo. It turned out the Jets test was a false positive. Everything is all good, so we're good to go on this game. No worries of postponement on this one. Arizona, they are 17th offensively. They are 21st passing and 6th rushing, and they have the 14th defense. The Jets, 32nd offense, 32nd passing, 26th rushing. 17th defense. Joe Flacco, he is starting for Sam Darnold. Joe Flacco is 2-9 and nine in his last 11 starts between Baltimore in 2018 and then Denver last year. The Jets are the only team to rank bottom third in points per game at only 16.3 and points per game allowed at 32.8. The Cards offense through the first two weeks when they were 2-0. and 
27 points per game, a 421 yards per game, and they only had two giveaways the last two weeks when they're 0-2, 22 points per game, only 319 yards, and they have four giveaways. So they got to clean up those turnovers. I think they'll do that. I think they'll be just fine against the Jets and Joe Flacco. I'm taking Arizona by at least 10 points. Move on to the Las Vegas Raiders, the 2-2 two two Las Vegas Raiders, traveling to the 4-0 Kansas City Chiefs. So Las Vegas has the 15th overall offense, their 13th passing, 15th in rushing, and they have the 21st defense for Kansas City, 6th offensively, 8th pass, 8th rush, and they have the 13th overall defense. Kansas City is the only team to allow 20 points or less in each game so far in 2020. The Raiders, they've scored 10 points or less each of the last three games versus Kansas City. Three of their eighth lowest scoring games in the current John Gruden era is versus Kansas City. So I don't know what it is with Kansas City's defense and Derek Carr, but they have his number. Kansas City, they've also won nine of the last 10 games by at least 10 points. The Raiders, they're facing their fourth straight playoff team from last year. New Orleans, New England, Buffalo, and now Kansas City. Kansas City is riding a 13-game winning streak, which is still a franchise record. It's including the playoffs as well. And Mahomes is 13-1 so far in his career versus the AFC West. I am riding with Mahomes. I am taking Kansas City easily in this one. Next game, the 1-3 Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to the now Bill O'Brien-less 0-4 Houston Texans. Jacksonville's offense is 18th overall, 11th passing, 22nd rushing, and they have the 23rd defense for Houston, 25th offensively, 15th passing, dead last in the rush game, and they have the 22nd defense in the league. Houston, though, they have won 10 of the last 12 versus Jacksonville with winning four in a row. Houston, they've allowed 28-plus points in five straight games. That's the longest streak since 2010. Jacksonville, they've scored 28-plus points three times since 2019. That's the fourth fewest in the league. Three of four career games that Watson has throwing less than 160 yards have come against Jacksonville. So that's another one of these matchups where, like Derek Carr versus Kansas City, Jacksonville has had Deshaun Watson's number so far in his career. We'll see if he can turn that around. And Romeo Cornell is making his coaching debut this season for the Houston Texans. He is 28-55. and in six seasons as a head coach. He hasn't coached since 2012, so we'll see how that goes. I think I'm taking Houston on this one to get their first win. Deshaun Watson, I don't think he's going to go 0-5. I think he'll turn it around. He's going to have a really good game. This kind of lines up for a nice bounce-back game for him. They kind of feel rejuvenated because they have Bob gone, so I'm taking Houston on this one. 2-2 Carolina at the 0-4 Atlanta Falcons. Carolina, 13th offense. They're 10th overall in passing, 14th in rushing, and they have the 10th defense so far. Carolina is playing really good football. I'm not going to tell you anything about Atlanta, so I'm going to keep that moving. Carolina, they have lost eight of the last nine versus Atlanta. And Christian McCaffrey, who, right? So with Christian McCaffrey, they were 0-2. They were averaging 23 points per game and only 108 rushing yards per game. Without Christian McCaffrey and starting Mike Davis, they're 2-0, 26 points per game, 124 and a half rush yards per game. Mike Davis has the third most receptions among running backs the last two weeks. Atlanta allows the fourth most receiving yards per game to running backs, so probably a nice big game for Mike Davis. So this is kind of supporting the people who are with the stance of don't pay running backs because they're not worth it. Um, You're just plugging and playing Mike Davis here, and he's doing, on paper, it looks like he's doing just about the same amount of work that Christian McCaffrey is doing for a team. So I don't know. I... Every single week, I'm like flip-flopping on this kind of philosophy of paying running backs, don't pay running backs, only pay running backs if they're like Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Kamara or Dalvin Cook. Don't overpay a guy like Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott. Like, I, I don't know. I 
it's I think it's just a case by case basis. I don't think you could just broadly just say don't pay running backs ever, but I don't know. I've no Christian McCaffrey here and I don't know. Carolina looks really good. I think it's mostly because Teddy Bridgewater is a lot more comfortable than he was the first two weeks. He's making a lot more throws that he didn't make the first two weeks of the season. So I think that's more of what's happening here and not just, well, they don't have Christian McCaffrey, so that's why it's better. I don't think that's better. I don't think they're better because they're missing their best offensive player. I think I think Teddy's just a lot more comfortable. I am taking Carolina. Even if I didn't think Carolina was going to win, I'm never picking Atlanta ever, and I'm not going to talk about them. So Carolina's going to win this one, and I don't care if, if Atlanta wins or not. I'm not going to talk about them in any way, shape, or form. So moving on to the 1-3 Miami Dolphins at the 2-2 two two San Francisco 49ers. Miami is 22nd overall offensively, 19th passing, 20th rushing. They have the 27th ranked defense. San Francisco, 12th offensively, 12th in the pass, 9th in rushing. They have the third overall defense. Miami, though, they have won three of the last four versus San Francisco so far. For San Francisco, they are getting Sex Grossman back. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play this week. They don't have to see Nick Mullins play again. They don't have to see C.J. Beathard play again. So San Francisco fans are very happy. I'm sure Kyle Shanahan has been doing cartwheels all week because that was a complete nightmare on Sunday night. So that's pretty good. And I'm sure George Kittle is really happy because George Kittle, he leads the NFL in receiving yards with 113.5 a game. He is just, he's unstoppable. George Kittle is the best tight end in football. Again, if you say otherwise, I will fight you. The Niners defense, they are top three in points per game allowed at only 17.8 and yards per game allowed at 294.8. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has a career high 69 completion percentage right now in 2020. So he's playing really well. He's still giving the ball away. That's just what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. He is, you know, the definition of a feast or famine player. He's going to have 450 yards passing, a couple touchdowns, but he's also going to give the ball away just as many times. He is a complete roller coaster, a lot of fun to watch. Um, I wouldn't want to root for him every single Sunday, but he is a lot of fun to watch as a casual fan. And Devontae Parker, he is enjoying having Ryan Fitzpatrick in there. Devontae Parker has the most receiving yards and touchdowns among wide receivers since November of 2019, so I suggest starting him. If you have him, I do, and I will. My pick is San Francisco by a lot. Next game, oof, the 0-4 New York Giants at the 1-3 Dallas Cowboys. Ooh, boy. Giants, 31st offense. They're 27th in passing, 31st in rushing, but they have the 5th overall defense so far. The defense is really competing out there, and it just sucks that, you know, the offense can't do anything whatsoever to help them out. Dallas, first offensively, number one passing, 23rd rushing. They are the 30th overall defense. It's incredible how there are two defenses worse than theirs. It's some of the worst football I've ever seen in my life. The New York Giants. They haven't scored a touchdown in two straight games. That's the first time since weeks 10 and 11 in 1998. So that defense is busting their ass. They are competing every single snap. And then the offense is just as inept as it gets. Daniel Jones is the only quarterback in 2020 with a sub 80 passer rating in every single game, but he keeps his job all good. First time in Zeke's career, he's had fewer than 100 rushing yards in each of the first four games of the season. So again, we're getting to this territory. Don't pay running backs. Do pay running backs. I don't know. The line helps a lot, but I don't know. Zeke just doesn't look like himself right now. The New York Giants, they are dead last in points per game at 11.8, but Dallas is allowing a franchise record 36.5 points per game. So something's got to give here. Something's got to give. I'm picking Dallas, and I'm also... 
I think that Dallas allows less than 20 points. I know that's insane to think that Dallas will allow less 20 points because the Giants only average 11. So who knows? Maybe Daniel Jones will have a career game that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. This Xavier Woods starting safety for the for the Cowboys says you can't expect guys to go 100% on 70 plays. Yes, you can. I can certainly expect that. You get paid a shit ton of money to do that. So yeah, I expect you to give as much effort as possible. What an asinine quote to give out. Like, what are you saying? You can't expect us to play hard every single play I'm on the field. Yes, I can. Yes, yes, I can. If I'm Mike McCarthy, I bench Xavier Woods. I don't know who else you put in his place, but I I don't know. That's just, that's unacceptable kind of behavior. That's just... That's ridiculous to say, man. That's that's just insane. So hopefully Dallas figures that defense out. I don't think they do, but maybe they'll get a little, you know, a freebie thrown their way with Daniel Jones and that just putrid New York Giants offense. Next game we'll get into coming off beating the Dallas Cowboys by scoring 49 points to 3-1 and Cleveland Browns at the 3-1 and Indianapolis Colts. Didn't think this would be a matchup of two 3-1 and teams coming into this week, but Both these teams have been playing really well. Cleveland, they had the 14th overall offense, 29th in passing. They had the first rush offense in the league. They have the 25th ranked defense. They were like 14th or 15th going into that Dallas game, and then Dak Dak Prescott just flamethrowed them. So they're back down to 25th here. For Indianapolis, 20th offense, 18th in passing, 20th. They're 16th in rushing, and they have the second overall defense. Indianapolis has allowed less than 12 points in three straight games. Baker Mayfield, he's 4-11 versus teams above 500. He's 11-5 versus teams under 500. So we'll see what happens here. Baker's got to make some good throws here because Indianapolis' rush defense is really good. They are susceptible to the pass. So Baker's got to make some throws here. We'll see what happens. Rivers, he has just exactly one touchdown pass in every game in 2020 so far. He has the fewest pass attempts per game that he's had since 2008. He's only at 30.3 pass attempts per game. Cleveland, they've run the ball on 53.3 percentage of plays so far. That's by far the most in the NFL. So that's why they're 29th in offense. I mean, 29th in passing. They have the number one rush offense because they have a stable of running backs that they are just pounding at teams. That is just Kevin Stavansky putting his stamp on this offensive system here. This was a weird stat. So Nahi Himes for the Indianapolis Colts, only running back in the league with 15 plus receptions and he has less than 100 receiving yards so he's just getting a lot of dinks and dunks on third down and not being able to do anything with it i am riding with the cleveland browns on this one i think i think odell breaks that streak of less than 100 yards receiving it's a 17 game streak i think he finally breaks it i think him and baker finally click or it'll probably be Jarvis Landry with another long touchdown pass to Odell Beckham Jr. I'm taking the Browns on this one. We get to Sunday night football. The 1-3 Minnesota Vikings at the 4-0 Seattle Seahawks and old Sneaky Pete. Minnesota Vikings are 21st offensively, 26th pass. They are 5th in rushing, and they have the 28th overall defense. Again, this is just unacceptable for a Mike Zimmer coach team for Seattle. They have the 4th offense. They're 4th in passing, 17th in rushing, and they are dead last in defense, 32nd. Russ, 6-0 in his career versus the Minnesota Vikings, including the playoffs. That is the most wins without a loss versus Minnesota in the Super Bowl era. Seattle, they have allowed the most receiving yards and receptions to opposing wide receivers so far in 2020. Hello, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. They are going to feast on these guys, but you do have Kirk Cousins back there. Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, he is 7-15 in primetime games under the lights. 
fourth worst record among quarterbacks since 2000, minimum of 15 starts. So I don't know what it, what it is. It's some kind of like mental thing, some kind of yips he has once it gets dark outside and the lights are on. He's like, oh, I forget how to play quarterback. So, I mean, if you look at his numbers at in those primetime games, they aren't as bad as people say they are. He's made a couple boneheaded plays, but he does that every single week. But He's just had some pretty shitty luck on some of those Sunday night football games. He's lost in game-winning plays uh, when, you know, he did, he put them up and then they, they end up losing anyway. So that's kind of overblown, but it's just, it's kind of eye-popping how it just, it just keeps happening to the guy. And according to Next Gen Stats, Russ is the only quarterback with at least two deep completions of 20 plus yards and one deep passing touchdown in every single game this season. And Dalvin Cook, he's the only player in the league with one plus rushing touchdown in every single game. My pick for this one is Seattle. I think this is going to be a nice shootout because Seattle can't stop anybody. It's as bad as Dallas's defense. I don't know what it is, but they can't cover anybody. So Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, they'll probably have a pretty big night. And this will be a fun little shootout on Sunday Night Football. At least, hopefully, I I I don't I hate when the games suck on Sunday night because you're just staying up all night, just praying that it's good, and it's not. It's just just give me a good game on Sunday night, please. Game one of the Monday Night Slate. So Denver, New England. New England had uh, another positive test with Stephon Gilmore earlier in the week. So then they kind of re they postponed this game to Monday at five o'clock. No more positive tests so far for New England. So we're all good there. No Cam Newton, though. He's not going to play. He'll be back week six. Apparently, that's what Bill Belichick said yesterday. And Stefan Gilmore, he is not going to play, obviously. So no Gilmore. That's a big hit. No Cam again. So we'll see what happens. One and three Denver, two and two New England. Denver is 27th offensively, 23rd passing, 29th rushing. They do have the 15th overall defense. New England, they come in with the 10th offense, 22nd passing, 2nd rushing, 8th overall defense. Like I said, Cam is a long shot to play. New England, they've won five straight home games versus Denver, including the playoffs. Quarterbacks under 25 years old, they are 16-51 and 51 versus the old hoodie Bill Belichick as the Pats head coach, 3-21 and 21 the last seven seasons. So... That doesn't sound good for Brett Ripon. Denver, they have the fifth fewest points per game in the NFL at only 20 and a half. New England, they are averaging the most rush yards per game at 179.8 in a single season since 1978. They are just running the hell out of the football. And New England so far, their lead running back in scrimmage yards has been different in each game this season. So they're getting good production from Rex Burkhead. They haven't got that much yet from James White, which I'm sure they will. Sonny Michelle is on the IR, so now it's Damian Harris coming off the IR. He was their lead guy last week. He looked really good. I expect him to look good again against Denver. I'm still picking New England, even though they're probably playing Jared Stedham or Brian Hoyer. I'm still I'm still rocking with New England. I just think that defense is going to be able to carry them like they did against in spurts against Kansas City last week. They put them in position to win that game. It just the quarterback play was awful, but they were playing Kansas City. They're playing Denver this week. It should be okay for New England. I'm picking New England. Game two of the Mighty Night doubleheader. We have the one and three LA Chargers and the two and two New Orleans Saints. So the Chargers, eighth overall offense, they're ninth in passing, tenth in rushing. They have the nineteenth defense. New Orleans, sixteenth offensively, seventeenth in pass, twelfth in rushing, and they have the sixth overall defense. New Orleans has won four of the last five versus the Chargers. The Chargers, so they named Justin Herbert their starter for the rest of the season here. The Chargers have only had five different starting quarterbacks since 2001 when Drew Brees was there. That's the fewest of any team in that span. That's just how consistent Phillip Rivers was there. That really helped him out a lot. And Drew Brees, he's averaging the lowest pass yards per game since 2005, 251.5. A couple notes from this one injury-wise. 
Austin Eckler, he is on the injured reserve. That's going to be a big hit to the run game, so they're going to have to lean more on Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly, who had a crucial fumble last week against Tampa Bay. So I don't know how much he's going to play if he's in Anthony Lynn's doghouse or not, but they really have no choice. He's going to have to play some big big snaps for them so the Chargers offense has been really good Justin Herbert's been really good it'd be nice to see a nice little shootout on Monday night football between these two quarterbacks but the Saints really aren't playing that way right now think I think New Orleans is kind of going to grind it out here hopefully they get the ball to just Alvin Kamara make some stuff happen I, I don't know if Drew Brees is going to open it up some more I mean Tom Brady did get some nice deep shots down the field Patrick Mahomes did as well so this defense is susceptible to the deep ball so Maybe see if Drew Brees will just uh, warm the old arm up and start chucking it all around the field. I'm picking New Orleans in this one. Tuesday night, we get a Tuesday night game. 4-0 Buffalo at 3-0 Tennessee. Buffalo's offense, they are fifth overall. They're third passing, 28th in rushing. Still, that just blows my goddamn mind that it's it should be reversed, you know? With Josh Allen, you should have the third-ranked rush offense and dead last in passing almost, but he's been he's been superhuman. Their defense is only 20th overall, though, so they're still giving out some big plays. Tennessee, they're 29th in offense, 28th in passing, 27th in rushing. Again, they coming off a bye week where they missed a week, so their numbers are really low now compared to everybody else's. And they have the fourth overall defense coming into this game. A little fun fact. So this was actually like inception kind of shit. So each meeting versus Bills and Titans since 2015 have come on week five. The Bills have won each game by seven points or less. The average margin of victory is 3.2. So this should be a really close Tuesday night game. Mike Vrabel, he is one of three active coaches without a loss following a bye week. He's 2-0. And Vrabel is also 4-0 following 10 days plus rest. Tennessee is looking for their first 4-0 start since 2008. Only Frank Gore, Le'Veon Bell, and Devin Singletary have 200-plus rush attempts and fewer than four rushing touchdowns. So Devin Singletary, he's putting in all the work. He's just, he's not having it pay off there in the red zone. So I don't know if that changes. It looks like Zach Moss is still their red zone running back, so... Just just some weird luck for Devin Singletary so far. And some numbers for Josh Allen kind of make sense of his ridiculous play this season. So let's look at Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs. He has a 122.7 passer rating. Without Stephon Diggs the past two years, it's at a 78.2. So Stephon Diggs is making a huge difference. Allen looks a lot more confident throwing the ball down the field and... It's paying dividends. This move was a really, really great move when they I thought it was amazing when they made it and it's really it is paying off. I didn't think it would pay off this well. I am taking the Bills. It's kind of hard to pick against the Bills right now, the way that Josh Allen is playing. Until he falls back down to earth, I'm not gonna pick against him. So that is week five slate. Looks like it could be a pretty good week. It could be a couple upsets here and there, but I think it'll be a pretty chalk week. We'll get into baseball postseason real quick. So what a game between the Yankees and Rays last night. Rays knock out the Bronx Bombers. Mike Brousseau homers off Araldis Chapman in the eighth inning. Tampa Bay, they keep their run going. They've been really great all season. They've been great in this postseason. So they face the Houston Astros in the ALCS. One little thing from last night. So Cole versus Glass now. It was their second straight winner takes all game versus each other. That's the first time that's happened since game seven of the 57 and 58 World Series. It was Lou Burdett of Milwaukee and Don Larson of the Yankees. So that was just some crazy history there. Cole was really good for most of the night. And, you know, the first hit he gives up is a home run that ties the game. Just Cole is just nasty, man. And Tampa Bay just hung in there. That bullpen just kept him in the game. And then, you know, Araldis Chapman comes in there and blows it. So Yankees are gone. I'm sure everybody's really happy about that. Nobody likes to see the Yankees succeed. So we got Rays and Astros. I'm taking the Astros. 
I'm picking the Astros to win the World Series just because, honestly, I'll enjoy the shit out of them winning the World Series and then everybody bitching and crying like, oh, you know, they cheated. They shouldn't be allowed to play baseball ever. It's like, shut up, man. This team is actually, it's really good still. Surprisingly, it's really good. You know, people were talking about all year they sucked, blah, blah, blah. They were just pressing. This team is really talented. They're super good. They won all those games for a reason. It wasn't just because somebody was banging a goddamn trash can. They're actually a really good team, and they're getting some timely hitting. They're getting some good pitching. Dusty Baker is a hell of a manager. I like this Astros team a lot. I have them winning the World Series. And then Braves, Dodgers, NLCS. Braves have been really fun, but I think I think the Dodgers are just too much for the Braves. Kershaw, again, if he pitches like he did last, last series so far in the postseason, Dodgers... They look really good. Mookie Betts looks good. Peterson, all those guys. Dodgers are stacked. I'm taking the Astros, though. I'm taking the Astros over the Dodgers. Dodgers are the title favorite, though. They're at 40% now. Braves at 21%. Astros at 18.1. The Rays at only 8.5. So Rays still aren't getting any credit by anybody. So I don't know. Um, these series have been really fun. And I think these series are going to be, uh, I mean, the Braves versus Dodgers, that one's going to be a lot of fun. And Rays, Astros, those are going to be some really low-scoring games. Or it's going to be like how it was in the A-Series where both teams are putting up like eight or nine runs. But we'll see. So that's a little baseball there. And I'm just uh, I'm just tired from last night. That was an exhausting, that was just an exhausting game to watch, you know. And uh, God damn it. I can't believe the Lakers lost. I really can't believe the Lakers lost. I'm still like just dumbfounded. I'm watching the game right now while I'm while I'm recording and like it's just it's just insane. How like these these guys were going for their first title. All of these guys besides LeBron, you know, like this is your first ring. Like you just like be amped up like I have a chance to close out and win my first goddamn championship and they're just kind of like, "Uh, whatever." Just moseying around. Uh, whatever, man. So, that's it for me. I'm going to wrap this one up. This one was relatively quick compared to what I've been doing the past couple episodes, so I'm sure everybody will take that. Make sure to like, rate, and review after every single episode. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your football tomorrow. I'll be back here Tuesday night. See you then. Y'all take it easy. I'm out. Goodbye and good night, bad.